Welcome to Creators Abroad. I'm Katerina, your nomad guide living in Northern England. And this is another narrative journey where we travel, take risks, find opportunities and spark our imagination. I create these episodes to help you in your creative journey and share tips to build a new life in a foreign country or town. And most importantly, how to make a living as a creator. Oh my goodness, this episode is going to be full of travel snippets because my guest today is Jeff Zeckendorf, filmmaker turned instructor trainer at UTD Scuba Diving and founder of Coach Me Strong. Before we start, here's a fun fact about me. I love the sea, even though for years I was basically petrified of going underwater. It's better now and I find such calmness in being close to it. The same goes for being in the countryside, anywhere far away from cars, people and streets. And even more so when I'm doing a physical activity, whether it's running, cycling, walking or swimming. Although swimming in the north of England is quite difficult because the water is practically freezing. Check out my latest YouTube video linked to this episode. I do actually go into the sea. Um, I don't swim. Yeah, there's nothing like the combination of nature and exercise to help you build a relationship with your surroundings, whether it is foreign or familiar. And it also brings you at one with what's going on in your soul. So that's our topic today. And Jeff actually applied his knowledge of coaching to a program for people suffering from Parkinson's and other neurological challenges to help them live healthier lives. So we're going to find out how to stay younger for longer in all sense of the expression and just simply make the most out of life. Let's dive right into this. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thank you. Great. It's so great to be here. Really excited about this. Scene one. That's me jumping the gun. (laughs) Not seen one quite yet. So to give our listeners an idea of who you are, um, can you introduce yourself in the style of a film trailer? Yeah, I don't actually have the voice from that guy who does all the film trailers. But (laughs) the, the most telling thing about me is that a long, long time ago, I discovered that to be really good at something, to really follow your path to mastery or whatever you want to call it, it always for me seemed to culminate in teaching or instructing. So as I developed my profession as a filmmaker, my hobbies as a competitive cyclist, as a scuba diver, all of those things led to teaching. And so I've integrated that into every single thing I've ever done as a flight instructor, a scuba instructor trainer, a mentor in the film industry, and now as um, a Uh, the owner of this coaching company that works with people with neurological challenges like Parkinson's. So, uh, yes, path to mastery ends in teaching or begins in teaching, depending upon how you look at it. Yes, and I, of course, totally agree because I am originally a teacher, educator, and I've I've done that kind of thing for 10 years and I still believe in the power of it, so. Scene one, the transition out of film. Before setting up a scuba diving training agency, you were a filmmaker helping other filmmakers become expert visual storytellers. Now let's start there because I think this is kind of like the beginning. Tell us more about being a visual storyteller yourself and what led you to then go into scuba diving. I got a camera when I was like 
six. I'm one of these classic stories where my, my uncle handed me a, a little brownie Hawkeye and I started making photographs when I was a kid. And then later on, my dad and I built a darkroom in our house. And I, so I was a child photographer, basically. And I carried that through my early career as a newspaper photographer and wire service photographer and eventually moved on to television and moving pictures. And that led to uh, some commercials and I did TV commercials for years. I've shot and directed like a thousand TV commercials. That led to doing some short films, which led to a couple of feature films, which led to some bigger movies. And all of a sudden, bang, I had like this 35-year career as a director of photography and director in the film business. And it was, it was really fun when working. And I think that's the key to the film industry. It's really fun when you're working. But uh, my full-time job in the film business was looking for work, not working. My part-time job was working. And I once had a producing partner who said to me that I spent 15 years trying to get into the film industry and then 15 years trying to get out. So that's kind of what happened to me. And I was, I was very successful. I had, you know, won awards, did good shows. It was fun. So I was looking for anything to do, and I was a scuba instructor at that point, and a friend of mine said that, one of my instructors said that, hey, he wants to start a scuba training agency, and I was like, hmm, educational, that sounds like fun, I'll help. And then, mm-hmm. bang, there we are, that was 13 years ago. Okay, um, just one little question on the kind of filmmaking business. Do you, when you say you were doing that part-time working and full-time or looking for work, would you say it's just because it was really difficult to get projects going or what exactly do you mean if you can clarify on that? I think it's just the freelance, the nature of being a freelancer. And for me, as the director of photography, there's only one per movie. So you either your, get the movie Your speciality was movies. Yeah. Or even mm-hmm. on commercials, director of photography, there's only one where there might be, you know, 10 electricians and 10 grips and four prop guys and six cater. There's only one cinematographer. So you either had to get that job or not. And I think, you know, as we'll talk about later, I think my, my weakness in all of this has always been marketing. So I never really realized that being a freelance filmmaker was a marketing job first and a filmmaking job second. So I don't think I was ever great at marketing myself. So I sat around waiting for the phone to ring a lot. I really understand that because, I mean, I think this is one of the aspects of creative work that makes it very difficult is the fact that in order for you to actually get the job or earn income, whether you're doing it as a freelancer or applying at different agencies or to work at different places, you really do have to know how to set up your portfolio and put yourself out there. And I am a person who who actually struggles with that as well. So I understand the kind of that situation. Um, And it's something you just don't realize. You think, oh, yes, I'm going to go into this creative pursuit and it's going to be all just, you know, using my creativity and so on. But first of all, you it's such a big learning curve when it, when it comes to marketing ourselves and, and knowing how to actually sell ourselves in a way as awful as that sometimes sounds, but yes. <laughs> no, I don't think it's awful at all. I have a friend who no. um, is an amazing illustrator, has had a lifelong mm-hmm. career as an illustrator, as an artist, went, to, um, went through the university system in the States, got uh, a, an MFA, a Master of Fine Arts, which is terminal degree for, for that level, and not one day did they help her figure out what she was going to do when she had the degree. 
It, I think it was mm. just a given that you'll go teach. And she didn't want to teach. So she ended up teaching. <laughs> but, <laughs> and then, of course, found, found her way as a, as a commercial artist. But yeah, I think that educationally and as a society, we're sorely lacking in helping our artists figure out how they're going to survive. I mm. mean, there's stories of the old, you know, you know, the master painters selling their palettes, you know, for anything for as a commission. Yeah, I, I mean, I, w I want to go move on a little bit to the scuba diving topic. Yeah. But just on that, I yesterday I did an interview and it was exactly this topic, like why don't artists earn money? Why has this been like an age old problem? Why is it not being solved? Why are we just like continuing and continuing with it? But yes, so scuba diving. Yeah. <laughs> now, so you went from filmmaking to scuba diving and it is a I've never done it before, by the way, but it is a great travel activity and loads of people who have done it. They've like always raved about it, said it was the greatest thing ever. And it's a great skill to learn, of course. That's why training often takes place over weekends because it is this kind of travel activity and it's normally short term investment for people who want to do it. I am kind of touching on this as this is from what I've heard. So you can correct me if I'm wrong on any of this. Nope, that's accurate. Is that accurate? That's okay, accurate. so because that's normally what happens with, like with my friends who recommended they're just like, oh, we went away to some kind of island and we did this, but now we're back where we are. So that's the end of it. <laughs> but your agency, UTD Scuba Diving, has a different approach where you actually train scuba instructors in a longer term program. How does your program take the idea of discovering the world to the next level. And I am a little bit influenced by a film called my, I think it's my teacher. My octopus, octopus? teacher. My octopus teacher, yes. that's the one. Yeah. Yes. And that's a Which good a film, film to be influenced by if you're going to be, if you're going to really explore the sea. Yeah, so that's, you know, that question could probably fill out our hour. But, you know, scuba diving is amazing in that we are able to visit a place where we're not naturally able to go, right? You can do a little with mm -hmm. snorkeling, but basically we carry air with us, we go underwater, we explore, we come back. So anybody can be an explorer at that level. It's super cool. The thing that's happened internationally in scuba is that it's gotten, it's kind of gotten dumbed down a little bit to its barest minimum. So if you went and took a, a quick scuba class, a weekend, two weekends, they're going to teach you how to use the equipment. They're going to teach you a little bit about the environment. They're going to teach you a tiny bit about safety, and then they're going to go. And the biggest problem we have in, in the scuba industry is, is retention. That once people learn, they don't get enough education to make them super comfortable or enough guidance on how to practice to become super comfortable. So... So the biggest problem the industry is facing right now is keeping people who are certified as divers diving. So we took a different tact to it. Um, we still do transactional courses. We still do weekend courses, four-day courses, six-day courses, things like that. But I took my background as an athlete and as a mentor, coaching mentor, and said, so why don't we take that transactional class and make it last six months? There are very few people who need to be certified on Thursday to go scuba diving. And we have a, a model for those people. But what we took was, let's take the coaching model and make it about scuba diving. So we just changed the nomenclature a little bit. So, and this is not across the whole agency, but in a small group of instructors, we're calling them coaches. And in a small group of students, we're calling them clients. 
and we put together a uh, a small calendar and a communications app that endurance athletes use. It's called Today's Plan. It's awesome. And what the coaches do, what the instructors do, is they load up a series of workouts, which are really just assignments. Some are equipment-based, some are water-based, some are academically-based, and the clients get a schedule of two or three things to do every week. And over the course of this, with some pool sessions and some water sessions and some academic sessions, they learn how to scuba dive. But they also learn all the other cool stuff, how fitness impacts scuba diving, how nutrition, how hydration, how lifestyle impacts scuba diving, how travel works, how the environment works, all that other stuff. And it's just because we can slow down, take a breath, literally, and you know, spend months talking about something that's generally jammed into a 25 or 30 hour course in four days. It's been a really awesome program. Yes, I mean, that sounds that way. And if I were ever to take that step, I would prefer doing it over a longer period of time than just like saying, okay, four days, here we go, we're gonna get this done. Because um, I just think it's, it's something that's not meant to be rushed. No, it's true. And, you know, there are safety issues and things like that with scuba diving. And it's important that, you know, we just want to make people comfortable in whatever they do, right? Hiking, you know, should have a big environmental component to it. Uh, I race a bike. So, of course, it's got this whole safety component to it. All these other things that are so much more than just, you know, putting a regulator on a gas, on a cylinder, putting it on your back and going in the water. Or jumping on a bike and getting in a group. Yeah, Yeah, and I think that just being able to do that and then being able to go anywhere and being comfortable in doing it anywhere, that's quite amazing as it does open up a whole new world to you. Now, you have students all over the world, including Asia, Europe, Egypt, Mm -hmm. and the States, of course, where you're based. And you have to deal with the cultural backgrounds of these students. Now... Do you think that there's a like a technique that you use or a recommendation when it comes to training students of different cultural backgrounds or is scuba diving a kind of thing that just transcends any difference? So I think that's a really interesting question. So there are two elements to the question. There's in the water and there's before the water, right? So in the water, there's no talking. So everything is done through hand signals and hand signals are universal. Right. So, you know, if I ask you, are you okay? You come back and you say, I'm okay. Do you want to surface? We're going to surface. So there are all these different hand signals. How much gas do you have? Um, You know, and on and on and on. Which way are we going? So underwater, it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what language you speak. It's all pretty much universal. Before the water... Again, it's a systemic program of education we have to put people through. So I think the only problem that we've run into is the fact that our materials were generated in English. And, you know, we spend an enormous amount of time and money getting them functional in other languages. So I think that's the biggest thing I would look at. If you're taking a scuba course in a language other than the native language of the organization that's teaching you, you want to make sure the translations are good because there are small things that could translate oddly that all of a sudden may not make sense. But 
it's it's kind of a universal sport because it's based on travel. Mm-hmm. So pretty much yeah. wherever you go, I mean, we were in Mexico last week diving and it's all the same as here. There's really nothing mm-hmm. much different, right? They have cylinders, they have a boat, they have a procedure, they have briefings, you go in the water, you dive, you come out, you have a beer. <laughs> that sounds so good right now. I wish I could just like after this time. And we've actually got good weather like for a change in England. So I wish I could just do that. But yeah. Well, we um, can help you. The, <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, that's actually a very interesting point that you made that it's all based on hand signals. And I think that's the great thing about sport. And wherever I've traveled or had to like kind of start a, a new life, I've always joined some kind of sporting activity. And it's weird how those things almost more easily transcend any language barriers that you might have. So I didn't think about the hand signals thing. Scene two, travel, self-discovery and creativity. Okay, so with traveling, when we explore the world underwater, A newfound amazement for nature helps us appreciate ourselves and the world around us. And I kind of touched on my own experience of this in the introduction. So why is there such a strong connection between travel and self-discovery? And I think this is something that you just find everywhere. Like you go onto YouTube, all of those photographers and videographers who start a YouTube channel, there's always like, oh yes, travel, explore, self-discovery at the same time. So why is there this connection from your point of view? So I think one of the challenges we all face is living presently, living in the moment, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's sort of become a cliche, let's live in the moment. But it's really, really true that we have to put ourselves in a position where the present is the coolest part. And that, you know, I've always thought that the, the past and the future really are, really generate fear and worry, Whereas the present is just what you're doing. So one of the things about traveling is it puts you in a position where you have to be in the present, right? We were in Japan last year and trying to figure out the subway system or in some small town, figuring out the train system to get to the next small town where literally nobody spoke English and there's no connection to the language. These are the kind of things that make you just really focus and say, well, how am I going to deal with this situation now, today, right now, in this instant? And it keeps you present. And then you get the, the new experience thing, right? I, when I was in China a few years ago, you know, I had an experience of you know, somebody asking me which chicken that was running around the yard I wanted to eat. It's like, well, that's kind of weird because you know, I live in the States. Chicken comes in a styrofoam package. So you know, to point at that chicken and then a half an hour later it's on your plate, that was a really new experience for me. But it's all this kind of stuff that just puts me very present, very in the moment and often out of my comfort zone, but still it's, it's that traveling to me is that one thing that gets you just in the now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Once again, well, I didn't even actually think about that. So it's so true because when you travel, you can't, there's no time really to worry about the past or the future. Sometimes when you're like just doing absolutely nothing and you're out on the beach, right, but even then, um, especially when you're like actually going from one place to the other and you have to like navigate in terms of public transport systems or just figuring out where is your hotel or asking directions or what yeah. you're going to see. There's so much where you have to be in the moment. You have to think. You can't just you know, go into this routine, this kind of like habitual thing, because there is no habit where in an unknown place. Yeah, no, it's true. It's very true. Yeah. 
Now, the other thing that I do find with traveling is not necessarily in when I'm in the process of, of going to a new country. And of course, like with the last years, everything happening and travel being basically off limits. I can't even remember what it feels like. <laughs> but normally when you come back from a place, there's always this kind of spark of creativity. And I definitely feel that when I've had to move like on a long term basis to a new country where you learn all these different ways of thinking and and then you just there's this real bubbling of creativity but the same goes for exercise like and that's on a daily basis so sometimes I just need to go for a run to like get all those creative juices going how does scuba diving and you can tell me that it doesn't do this at all but how does scuba diving elevate creativity so I'm a visual artist first right that was my mm -hmm. whole career and of course you know, going into any new society, culture, environment, anything, for me was always fuel for what the movies I made would look like. Um, I once made a movie in which about a half an hour of the actual film took place during a solar eclipse. And I, I, I paid a lot of attention over the course of the six months before that movie into the whole eclipse Thing to get a visual take on it where I never looked at, at an eclipse that way before, but now I had to apply it to something. So now if you take that and expand on that a little bit, anything we do in travel, anything we do in exercise, we get to explore culturally, either you know visually or through food or through sounds that are different, city sounds that are different, things like that that just feed your creativity, be it as a writer, as a visual artist, as a musician, whatever it is. It's that getting out of your comfort zone again that's so interesting where, you know, I mean, I live in San Diego. It's spectacularly beautiful here daily. I love San Diego. But as you said earlier, I'm kind of used to San Diego. So I have to really pay attention to notice the things that are unique about my living situation. When you travel, you don't have that. Everything's unique even if you go back mm -hmm. to the same place over and over. So I think just opening your eyes, opening your ears, opening your taste buds to what's around is really what, um, what feed, for me, feeds my creativity. I know I come back supercharged yes, on I all can. of these different areas. Yes, and that would be the same for when you scuba dive because then you, you've got the underwater world yeah. <laughs> that you also see yeah. and, well, you can't exactly taste it, but... You can see it in like all that visual color and brightness. Yeah. Um, so I yeah. suppose that's the same. It's very much the same. It just feeds mm -hmm. your visual senses or your audio senses or just feeds your senses. Yes. Can't stay, you can't stay stagnant, either as an artist or not mm -hmm. artist, right? You can't stay stagnant. You've got to move forward all the time. Yeah, I've got this weird thing where like most of my, my life, I've kind of like just had this need to move from one place to the other and I kind of never really stick to one place for longer than normally it would be like two three years I've been where I am at the moment for quite a, a while but I think it, it is this need to just see something new to kind of like really challenge and um, extend what I am used to and actually just turn it upside down and <laughs> having to like 
just get used to something completely new. So I think you explained that really well, where it is, it's actually that feeling of, a, of creativity that goes alongside it. I think that's part of, just to add to that, I think that's part of the mm-hmm. whole being in the present thing, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're doing these trips and this travel and these experiences to make the present better, wherever you go, right? So when, you, when, you, when I return... So where are we today? We're, we're Wednesday. We got back Sunday night from this week in Mexico diving. And, you know, I'm charged up by that. It's like, that oh, it was fun. I'm charged up on diving, on the things I saw, on the things I want to get better at, on getting back on the bike because I took nine days off the bike, which is the longest I've been off in years. Yeah. You know, all that stuff, it just fires you up. Yeah, and I mean, I've, now it just occurred to me because I've been, like since the start of the year, because we've had lockdown in the UK like for almost a year now, it's been on and off, but it's practically been longer than a year, but we're, we're slowly getting back to normal again. But I really found from the start of the year, this, I can't even describe it, but it's almost a lethargic, something close to depression. And I, I actually now understand quite well why that happened, because during that lockdown period and not being able to go anywhere at all, you you actually, you start losing some of that energy. And that's that energy that you just spoke about, like getting all um, ready for everything again and having new ideas and insights. And that's actually what happened. And probably not only to me, but loads of other people with being in our homes the whole time and not even being able to like go to restaurants and stuff. So, but luckily things are starting to normalize and hopefully one day I'll be able to travel again. You know, it was such a long period of time, right? It was like a year, year and mm. a half that, that, you know, in my house, you know, my wife and I created kind of a new normal. You know, we okay. cooked more, we exercised more, we, you know, you really only had two choices, right? You could embrace it or hate it. Yeah. And we just <laughs> consciously chose like, look, we're home. We're just going to embrace this. At the same time, mm-hmm. divorce rates skyrocketed. We're trying to adopt a dog now because we yeah. lost a dog during the pandemic and our, our other dog needs a buddy. There are no dogs, <laughs> you know? I mean, <laughs> everybody wants something. Everybody wants, a, you know, everybody's adopting every dog out there. These are the crazy things we didn't expect to happen. But, you know, again, mm-hmm. we just, just, it's just live presently and, you know, okay, we're in yeah. a pandemic. Who thought that would happen? Yeah. No, I mean, it's totally true, but uh, it's also that flip side where you do have uh, like the increase in the mental health issues and so forth. Mm-hmm. But coming back to our topic. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> we went off topic there a bit, but it did make sense. I, it occurred to me like in the moment. Now, as I mentioned, like whenever I did go to a new place and even if I just travel like for a weekend or something, I'd always take running shoes or at least something to walk in and, and it was really about like exploring my area because the when, the moment I have to like work out a, a running route for example or a cycling route I get to know the area just so much better and even if it's not like necessarily in a group activity it's just exciting and I feel closer to my surroundings. Can you share two to three important aspects of becoming part of a foreign community through exercise? Oh yeah oh absolutely. So, um, you know, scuba, you're on a boat with people you've never met before, right? So that's the first thing. You share this bond of the short-term bond of that dive and this long-term bond of this hobby or avocation, whatever you want to call it, of diving. So, so there's always the, the, the people of the other cultures that bring that to you in travel. So we travel with our bikes everywhere we go. You know, every... 
once or twice a year, we do a big bike trip where we go somewhere and, and ride for a week or something like that. A couple of years ago, we went to France, where I had spent a lot of time, and my wife had spent only a short amount of time and never on a bike. So we took our bikes, we went to a little town in the Alps, and every day we'd go ride these iconic Tour de France climbs. Alpe d'Huez, Col de Glandon, Galibier, all these amazing climbs. And at the end of the day, we'd come back to the same bar that was across the street from the little place we rented, where all these other cyclists from all over the world were also coming back from their rides. And we would sit with them, people from every imaginable country, some who spoke English, my wife's natively fluent in Spanish, so some who spoke Spanish, I speak some French, so some who spoke French. And we would figure out what we all did that day and what we were all going to do tomorrow. And it was crazy. And it, was, it happened every day, 4 o'clock, same bar. There's 20 bicycles. There's 20 cyclists in their clothes and kits and helmets and stuff. And there's 20 beers. And it was a, a really powerful experience to be able to just, you know we'd be sitting at lunch in the middle of a ride thinking what we're going to do tomorrow. It's like, oh, you know what? Let's figure this out at the bar. Because that's where mm -hmm. someone's going to say, oh my God, we did this piece of this route and it went this way. And that's the magic to me. You know, where you just have this multicultural connection to so many people um, doing the same thing, doing the same thing they love, sharing the excitement of it. And... Um, and yeah, it's just being part of that community. And you can do it in any sport. I do it in cycling. You can do it in diving. You can do it in running. You can do it in golf. I have friends who uh, keep motorcycles, live in the States, keep motorcycles in Europe. And every year they go and they get their motorcycle out of someone's garage and they join a group and ride their motorcycles. Anything that puts you in a group, a team, a culture, and a community that's outside of your comfort zone it just, it's awakening. It's amazing. Yes. And like what you, describing what your own experience, I was thinking back to when I did kendo or like martial arts and I did this professionally. So I got to also travel the world for like competitions and stuff. And now it actually occurred to me again, like why I'm missing it and why it was such a great experience because yes, okay, so you went to a different country, but the thing is you you immediately shared this thing with all these people who who weren't necessarily of your own culture who didn't come from where you came who didn't have the same outlook necessarily than you and also in terms of personality was probably very different but then you had the share thing a uh, shared passion and that just made everything else like less important and obviously the feeling lonely or feeling disconnected, that did not happen. So you've, you felt part of a community, so that's great. When we travel, we almost always go to a place and stay there for mm -hmm. a week and then just explore from that. And this is, you know, I just don't understand the culture of tours where it's like, come on along, we'll get on a bus, we'll do nine countries in seven days. You learn nothing except, you know, the guy from the state's, sitting next to you who has the same exactly. culture as you and they're just you know oh look a camel oh look you know a turtle yeah. and then on to the next country doesn't make any sense yeah. there's no exploration there there's no in, there's no there's no expanding your consciousness there 
No, definitely. Like, I don't normally do those tours at all. I probably like way back when I was like a teenager or something with my family, we did it. But it's back then that I decided I'd rather just go to one place and stay there for a while yeah. and really get to know it. Like, go to that same bar every single day yeah. and just get to know the regulars as well. And sometimes, even if you can't speak their language, you know, just try and laugh together and, yeah. you know, get a few frowns and, and so forth. But that that is for me the beauty of travel. It only takes two days to become a regular in a place like that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Scene three navigate neurological challenges. So, we're taking a little bit of a detour in terms of topics so we've, we've really discussed the travel and exercise but there's also a very a important part of exercise that we don't always think about and that is when we get older and also when we do suffer from neurological challenges or other challenges exercise can really really help sometimes it's the only therapy that can slow down something like for example parkinson's disease and this is what your program coach me strong aims to do. Now, it, you started this venture during COVID because gyms closed and your program helps those people who used to go to gyms, obviously now have a, like a regular exercise program. Can you briefly tell us more about what makes it unique? And is it perhaps beneficial to like carers who have family members who suffer from these neurological challenges is something they can look into? Yeah. So this came from a, a necessity, right? Where, where, as you said, particularly in Parkinson's, Parkinson's disease, exercise is the only thing that the medical community knows of that can actually slow the progression. The drugs manage symptoms, but exercise can actually slow down people getting worse in Parkinson's. So almost every movement disorder specialist who works with Parkinson's patients prescribes exercise. When and the, most people have some kind of program, but it's it's been usually based on going someplace, going to a gym, going to a dance class, or a, a, you know something like that. When people locked down, the first thing that went away in exercise programs was structure. So I'm kind of a fanatic on structure and periodization in exercise because I've seen such dramatic success in my own life as an athlete. I race a bike on the track uh, at the national level. So, you know, I train seven days a week. I, I ride five days a week. I have a very structured program. I have a coach, you know, and, and it's balanced really nicely. So this story is actually going somewhere. It's balanced really nicely <laughs> that... I just like hearing about the exercise. So. <laughs> I know. It's, so it's... You know, I don't get two super hard interval days in a row unless there's a reason for it. You know, it's intervals, it's endurance, it's strength, it's it's this the structure where because in exercise, of course, getting stronger is not about doing the exercise; it's about the recovery, right? Mm -hmm. uh, doing a weights session kind of injures the muscles, and they get stronger in recovery. So you've got to balance exercise to provide enough high level work and enough recovery in the right order. So that's what structure is. People who don't have a, an athletic background have never seen this for the most part. So what we do in Coach Me Strong, and, and I just got into this because I do a lot of work for the Parkinson's Association here in town, 
and, and one of the doctors on the board was talking about, well, you know, the gyms are closing, the patients aren't exercising, they need some help. And I said, well, I've got this coaching program in my scuba company, and I've been a coached athlete for decades. Why don't I just take this and, you know, with a partner who helped me, we just bang in like a month, we had the company up and running. It was really fast. And it was directly beneficial and is directly beneficial for the people who came in. We got coaches, we got clients, we got software, and bang, we had a company. Super easy. So giving people structure is the most important thing in exercise. You can't walk 30 minutes a day and say, I'm exercising. Because all you're doing is getting good at walking 30 minutes a day. Anybody can get good at walking 30 minutes a day in two weeks. After that, you don't get better at walking 30 minutes a day. And you don't get stronger and you don't get better balance and you don't get better core fitness and you don't get all this other stuff. So we have to take people out of their comfort zone a little bit. And we do that through structure and periodization. Periodization where we take long cycles, medium cycles, and short cycles, right? So a long cycle is a year or a lifetime. A shorter cycle would be a month or two months. And then the, the little micro cycles would be the days or weeks that develop the program. So we provide these structured programs individually to each client through a coach. So they have a accountability partner. They basically have somebody on their team to help them with exercise. Uh, people with Parkinson's have care partners, often a spouse who nag them to exercise because Parkinson's one of the symptoms is lethargy. It's hard to get off the couch and do this. So the spouses start nagging. And then that creates friction in a relationship. So we take on that nagging role. And we found one of the things that does is open up some space in the relationship between the person with Parkinson's and their care partner, which is a really good thing. Because that nagging goes away because we do it. The coach is calling. Did you exercise? Why didn't you mark it down? How can we help you? What do we need to do? They're talking every day. So all these things sort of seemed like a very obvious need to fill and we just created the vehicle to fill it yeah well that's amazing and I'm just fascinated well I've got an athletic background so obviously I was just like oh yes programs <laughs> structure and I'm yeah. thinking like that's what I need at the moment because I've gotten pretty bad in my own like structure in terms of exercising so yes but of course the the work you do has the great impact on and it did fill a, a real need and I think a lot of people actually felt it and even if they didn't necessarily suffer from like um say Parkinson's or something where they had to exercise I think a lot of people just went into this kind of lull where they had yeah. no structure in terms of exercise and that's why there was also a dip in terms of just general health and well healthy living and if you're someone like me <laughs> eating all sorts of things I shouldn't be eating as well. Yeah, I did <laughs> the opposite. The whole time. <laughs> I did the opposite. I looked down a road of, I don't know how this lock, how long this lockdown is going to go, but there's no racing. So yeah. I just made up goals and I just went after them. I'm doing an hour record attempt um, at our local track in yeah. two months. So I've been working yeah. on that goal, right? Uh, yeah. I, I just found goals to work on because... Yeah, no, it's great. Like I did the same when I did it. So it, I didn't do it consistently, but I had like little goals. And whenever I did set those and really went for it, it did help a lot. So um, that's very, very true what you said. Now, at its core, acknowledging that regular exercise can help us le lead healthier lives and stay young in body and mind. This is, I can't stress it enough. And I just find that so many people, they, they would say, yes, yes, yes. Okay, we get it. Like we have to exercise, we have to get a routine, but they don't actually do it. And it's almost like only when it's too late that 
they start realizing this. And I've just seen recently in, because I've, I've kind of like started a new company and stuff, like especially when life gets in the way, you just sort of always just put those things aside. And But the moment that happens and your lifestyle becomes less healthy, less routined, it just, everything else starts falling apart. <laughs> so thinking specifically now of people live, kind of like living abroad, what do you recommend for those of us who are also getting older, and might have to yeah. deal with whether it's a neurological challenge or something else while far away from a support network in terms of like exercise and routine in general and just living healthier. Yeah. So the thing that's the most important in any fitness program, regardless of whether you're an elite athlete or you're just trying to get off the couch is consistency. There's nothing more important than consistency. I know that if I do the workouts that my coach provides for me every day, I'll get faster and stronger. It's just a given. It's, it's science, right? It's not fuzzy. So to embrace consistency means do something every day. That's really all it is. And I, 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 don't, I don't think there's a longer story to it than that. Just you can't stop. Mm -hmm. you, know? you just have to be consistent. Yes. And I think the other thing that you mentioned just earlier was about also pushing yourself beyond your your comfort zone so it's one thing like i'm so guilty of this like just doing the same speed the same length yeah. the whole time without actually trying to push myself just a tiny tiny bit that's why sometimes just be doing it in a group helps a lot because then suddenly you're like whoa everybody's faster than me i need to do i need to hurry up it's <laughs> step up time right yeah. and, and this is why especially with um our neurological clients, right? Intervals are super critical. Mm -hmm. You've got to do hard efforts. But the cool thing is they're super short, yeah. right? You do 30-second intervals, 20-second intervals, 10-second intervals, anything to get that spike, and it's over before you know it, which is really cool. Yeah. But it gives you that variable so you don't get really good at walking 30 minutes a day, and that's all you get good at. Your 30 minutes a day is now going to stick with me and I'm, I'm swear I'm going to like improve. I'm not just going to do my same runs at the same slow speed. <laughs> I'm actually going to. Yeah. And you know, you're an athlete, Katharina, you understand <laughs> coaching. So <laughs> I, I think it's almost impossible to do this alone. Yeah. No, you know, true. I haven't been without a coach on the bike. Mm -hmm. I've been coached for, I don't know, 20 years. And, and I don't ever want to not have a coach mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I, I don't know what would happen if I didn't get that workout every day and and no. not have to think about it and figure it out. It's just like, okay, go do this program for the next hour and a half. Yeah, no, that's very true. So that's another thing to, for people to think about is simply like maybe invest in whether it is going to a physical class and having a teacher there or getting like a personal trainer or coach. Very lastly, and this is something that's kind of an experience I had not directly, but through family is when somebody gets diagnosed with one of these neurological challenges like Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, the people who have to look after them, suddenly their lives change as well. Now, what would you recommend we do if we, we find ourselves in this situation and we have to adapt? One last piece of advice for listeners. There's a, a rule in basic first aid because through scuba, I taught a ton of first aid courses, mm -hmm. which is never make two victims, right? If you're going to rescue someone and you're going to get hurt, you've got to find someone else to do the rescue. It's the same thing. 
taking care of somebody with a neurological challenge, being that care partner, those people have angel wings. It's unbelievable to see what people put themselves through to care for somebody. The key is finding the time to take care of themselves, finding the time to do their own exercise, to do their own program, to do their own mental health and things like that. So in Coach Me Strong, we have care partners in the program as well as as the people with the neurological challenges. And we find it's really, really important because it gives them an accountability partner, it gives the caregiver, care partner, an accountability partner for their own exercise, for their own fitness, for their own health, makes them stronger and makes them better able to care for the people they're caring for. Because, you know, lives change when Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or MS or a traumatic brain injury or stroke comes into your life. And it changes equally for the people who love you. So we want to work with those people just as, as vitally as we want to work with the, the clients with the, the neurological challenges because it's a partnership, you know, getting, getting one person across a life, you know, Parkinson's doesn't make your life shorter. It just adds a challenge to it. So we have people who've had Parkinson's 25, 30 years, you know, and managed it. But it takes a lot of good management. It takes an amazing partner. So... We want the partners to be as, as fit and healthy and strong as we're making the people with Parkinson's or whatever the disease is. Yes. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for well the, the work you do on the one hand and then sharing all of the insights. It was absolutely fascinating just going. I know we, we've gone from exercise and talking a little bit about scuba and traveling, but all of these things are connected as well. And it's it's just about living life, I suppose, fully being able to do that and also having living as long as you can um, and appreciating the world around you. Yeah. Well, thanks for thanks for all of this. Yes. So just one last question with your background, your diverse background, having been a filmmaker, scuba diver, instructor, athlete, founder of Coach Me Strong. What is the one change you would like to see in the world? You know, uh I knew that question was coming and it took me like a nanosecond to come up with the answer. Mm -hmm. We need more basic minimum politeness. The world needs more basic minimum politeness. I mean, you know, our political system has been a mess, you know, these past years, your political system, Brexit, the crazy things that mm -hmm. are happening there is fundamentally a mess. People can talk to each other without being polarized. So that's what I think we need. I think we, everybody just needs to embrace basic minimum politeness. And I think the world will be a better place. Wonderful. Thank you once again for joining me, Jeff. All right, Katharina, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Where can people find out more about Coach Me Strong, UTD, scuba diving, and anything else that you have to offer? Yeah, simple. CoachMeStrong.com and UTDScubadiving.com. So yeah, take a look on either one. But Coach Me Strong, you know, I finally have a company that directly helps people as opposed to indirectly helps mm -hmm. people. So I'm super excited about it. So check out Coach Me Strong, whether or not you're challenged or, you know, like you, if you need a coach, we have coaches. Doesn't matter if you're old, young, diseased, challenged, care partner, or just want to get stronger. So coachmestrong.com. It's awesome. Fantastic. And just before we go, I do have round 42, which is the answer to life, the universe and everything. Do you know Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? 
Yeah. All right. <laughs> That's where it comes from. So <laughs> the first question is a surprise one. If you had to live underwater forever, which animal would you be? You can't be human. Octopus. Huh. Because of the chameleon-like nature, you can be all sorts of different things. Mm. Worst culture shock you've ever experienced? And please don't tell me it's a chicken running around. <laughs> no, but that was a good one. Um, yeah, it is a good I one. I think the worst culture shock I've ever experienced was standing on a street corner in Kathmandu and seeing 600 motorcycles spewing exhaust, waiting at an intersection to move, and the traffic policeman directing that had a mask around his neck. We couldn't breathe, and he stood in it eight hours a day. It was like, oh my God. <laughs> and then what important truth do very few people agree with you on? Okay, there's a super cool quote. Give me a second. By one of our former presidents in the United States back in the 50s, a guy named Dwight Eisenhower, who wrote, leadership consists of nothing but taking responsibility for everything that goes wrong and giving your subordinates credit for everything that goes well. I've not heard that one before. I'm going to have to think it over a bit. It's true. You know, if you're leading, step up, mm -hmm. take responsibility and delegate well and give credit where it's due. So in other words, the people who always want to push blame on somebody else, they're not necessarily suited to be great leaders. No blaming, no victims. Yeah. Right. And then lastly, what would you do tomorrow? And this is a very, very, very serious question. If you were 20% braver. I would start cold calling to get new clients. Hmm. <laughs> you know, That's bravery to me is, is, is the opposite of fear, right? So what do I fear the most? Picking up the phone and getting rejected. Maybe it was because of 30 years in the film business where half of my yeah. life was getting rejected. I hate rejection. So I, I would become an expert cold calling marketer. Not going to happen, but that's yeah, what I was going to say. But that's exactly <laughs> what we sometimes have to do, me included. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody, yeah. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you're a creator, if you live abroad, if you want to do any of those things, come and find me over at Insta at creators.abroad or TikTok at creatorsabroad. Or you can go to my website, creatorsabroad.com, where you will find loads of details about everything I do. I'm looking for guests who can share insights on either living in a foreign country or moving to one, finding work, that kind of thing, and also working in the creative industries. So if you've got a, a YouTube channel, a podcast, a creative business, anything like that, please get in touch and you can share your expertise, get people interested in what you do and follow you. We've also got a podcast production studio and content creation consultancy. I've been a little bit secretive about this, but it is now officially launched up and running and I'm really excited about it. If you want to find out how I do what I do, you can get all the details on my website and why not grab a coffee and we can just talk about how I might be able to help you. Last but not least, you can support the show by following me on any podcast platform. And of course, I hope you join me next time for more narrative journeys of creators abroad. Awesome. <laughs>